morning, church. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, as we read and listen to your word, and as Pastor Joseph expound on your word, may we be encouraged by the truth in your word. Let the truth in your word continue to sanctify us and transform our minds and lives to be more like your Son, Jesus. Grant us ears to listen and hearts to obey. Thank you in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Saviour. Amen. I'll be reading from Acts chapter 3, verses 12 to 26. Um, I'll be reading from the NIV. When Peter saw this, he said to them, Fellow Israelites, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we, made, we had made this man walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus. You handed him over to be killed, and you disowned him before Pilate, though he had decided to let him go. You disowned the Holy and Righteous One and asked that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and now was made strong, it is Jesus' name and the faith that had comes through him that has completed healed him, as you all can see. Now, fellow Israelites, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your leaders. But it is how God fulfilled what he had foretold to all the prophets, saying that his Messiah would suffer. Repent then and turn to God, so that your sins may be wiped out, that the times of refreshing may come from the Lord, and that he may send the Messiah, whom he has been appointed for you, even Jesus. Heaven must receive him until the time comes for God to restore everything, as he promised long ago through his holy prophets. For Moses said, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own people. You must listen to everything he tells you. Anyone who does not listen to him will be completely cut off from their people. Indeed, beginning with Samuel, all the prophets who have spoken have foretold these days. And you are heirs of the prophets and of the covenant God made with your fathers. He said to Abraham, Through your offspring, all peoples on earth will be blessed. When God raised, him, when God raised up his servant, he sent him first to you to bless you by turning each of you from your wicked ways. This is the word of the Lord. All right, good morning, church. The Lord be with you. Now, last Sunday, we noted that one feature of the apostolic church uh, was the miracles that were performed by the apostles. And in the first part of Acts chapter 3, Luke describes for us the first miracle that was performed by Peter and John. Now, they healed a man born lame simply by giving a command to walk in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And the man was instantly and completely healed. And he began to walk and was quickly jumping for joy and praising God. And this happened in the temple at the time of the afternoon prayer. And the people in the temple were astonished. And as they gathered around Peter and John, uh, and the man healed of his cripple, uh, Peter began to explain the miracle. 
And in verse 12, he tells us, he tells the crowd, fellow Israelites, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power of, or godliness we had made this man walk? Now, Peter is not drawing attention to himself. He's telling the crowd that they should not be surprised that this man had walked. The healing is not on account of his or John's inherent power or their godliness. No, the healing is on account of Jesus. It is Jesus who has healed the man. And Peter therefore proceeds to tell the crowd that, uh, about Jesus in verse 13. The God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus. And so begins Peter's second sermon in the book of Acts. Now, you may remember that Peter gave his first sermon on the day of Pentecost uh, to explain the phenomenon of speaking in foreign languages. And in that sermon, he emphasized that God has made the crucified Jesus both Lord and Messiah. And everyone who calls on the name of Jesus will be saved. And now, in this second sermon in the temple, Peter will again point the people to Jesus. And this time he will emphasize that God has glorified Jesus by raising him from the dead. And all who believed in Jesus will be blessed. And this is what biblical preaching is about. It is about Jesus. If we want to be biblical in our sermon, we must emulate the early apostolic church in the way the apostles always preach Jesus. They preach Jesus and him crucified, Jesus and him glorified. And so churches today need to recover the primacy of preaching Christ. Now, we may not repeat the miracles of the early church, and we have said this last Sunday, the reason for this is because the apostolic, church, the apostolic age is over. There is no second apostolic age. But we can and we should emulate the apostolic preaching. And the apostolic preaching is all about Jesus. Now, sadly, there are churches today that preach about everything except Jesus. And there are churches that claim to be Bible-centered, but they hardly point people to Jesus. And they are like the religious teachers of Jesus' day. Jesus said this of them. They diligently studied the scriptures because they think that in the, in the scriptures they can have eternal life. But scriptures clearly points to Jesus and yet they refuse to come to him to have life. So in the same way, churches today can make the same error that we are so concentrated and so focused on the Bible. We preach from the Bible, but we leave out the central person of Christ that both the Old and the New Testament 
talk about. So instead, we preach about the moral values in the Bible. And we preach about how we can become better people, how we can become better husbands and wives, how we can become better parents. And we preach about obeying God, or obeying God's commandments so as to claim His promises. Now, these teachings are not wrong in themselves, but they miss out the all-important connection to Jesus. And we must make the connection to Jesus because Jesus is the embodiment of all the moral values in the Bible. And Jesus is the fulfillment of all the promises of God in Scripture. Therefore, in Jesus, all God's promises are ours. And so we are to find our meaning in Jesus. We are to find our identity in Jesus. And we are to find our hope in Jesus. Not only in this world, but also in the world to come. And so the apostolic, uh, the, the purpose of apostolic preaching is not getting people to obey God's law so that they can become better people and go to heaven. No. The purpose of apostolic preaching is to get sinful people like you and I to recognize their need for Jesus. And so that in believing Jesus, they may become new people in Christ, fitted for eternal life in the new heaven and the new earth. So this morning, let us learn from Peter the features of apostolic preaching so that we at TGCC will continue the tradition of the early church where every sermon is Christ-centered. Now, there are four features relating to Jesus in Peter's second sermon. And they, are, they all begin with the letter R. The first is rejection. Now, Jesus is a man accustomed to rejection. And it is no surprise that the Bible portrays Jesus as a man of sorrow. And it begins with his status as a servant. And in verse 13, um, Peter refers to Jesus as God's servant. Is this working? Okay, every Jew knows that in the Old Testament, uh, the prophet Isaiah speaks of a servant of the Lord who would be rejected by mankind and he would then go on to suffer and bear the sins of many. And this is where Peter wants the crowd to make the connection that Jesus was the servant of the Lord that Isaiah spoke about. And then Peter accuses the crowd of participating in the rejection of Jesus. And referring to the crowd, um, Peter says, uh, you handed him over to be killed. 
and you disown him before Pilate, though he had decided to let him go. You disown the Holy and Righteous One and ask that a murderer be released to you. So every now and again, we learn in the news of an innocent person executed for a crime they did not commit. And we rightly feel angry about it. Yet, we don't feel the same way when we learn that the crowd released a murderer instead of um, sinless Jesus. And I suspect we don't feel the same way is because we are part of the crowd. And by extension, we too have rejected Jesus. And today we reject Jesus when we refuse to give him first place that he deserves in our lives. We reject Jesus when we think we can save ourselves by our own good works. And we reject Jesus when we don't preach Jesus who died for our sins and who will save us from the coming wrath of God. Now, as believers, we are not to reject Jesus in any way. Instead, we are to be faithful to him. And when we are faithful like Jesus, we can expect the world to reject us. Jesus himself reminds us that the world will hate us because it hated him. And so let us not be afraid when people insult us, when people reject us, and when people persecute us. Instead, let us be encouraged by the Apostle Paul when he says that if we share in Jesus' suffering, we will also share in his glory. And one aspect in Jesus' suffering um, is his resurrection. You see, God glorified... Uh, sorry, what did I say? No, one aspect of Jesus' glory yeah, is his resurrection. Now, God glorified his servant Jesus by raising him from the dead. And so this leads us to the second R, the second feature about Jesus. It is his resurrection. And in verse 15, Peter says, You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. And we are witnesses of this. Now notice that Peter refers to Jesus as the author of life. And you may wonder the irony that the author of life is killed. So this is like an oxymoron, isn't it? But Peter here is combining two contradictory ideas to tell us that Jesus is no ordinary person. You see, Jesus is fully human and he is fully divine. As God, Jesus is the author of life. And the New Testament affirms this. 
The Apostle John in his Gospel uh, tells us that it is through Jesus as the Word of God that all things were made. And without Him, nothing that was made has been made. And the Apostle Paul says the same thing in his letter to the Colossians, telling them that Jesus, as God the Son, created all things in heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible. So Jesus is the author of life because Jesus is God. Yet, as a human being, he is mortal. And he was killed on the cross. But God raised him on the third day. And the resurrected Jesus was seen many times over by his apostles and by 500 of his disciples over a period of 40 days. So there is evidence and there were witnesses to Jesus' resurrection. But despite this evidence, there are many who call themselves Christians today, and yet they do not believe in the bodily resurrection of Jesus. They are the liberal Christians. They say that the resurrection is spiritual, not bodily. But the Jews, they believe in a bodily resurrection. And when we read through the book of Acts, we find that the central message of the apostolic preaching hinges on the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. And it is this issue that divided those who heard the apostles preach. And many believed, but others did not. And so it is today. Many will believe the bodily resurrection, but others will not. And the truth is, if you don't believe the bodily resurrection, you don't believe in Jesus of the New Testament. And you are actually not a Christian. And you will remain in your sin. But you may plead ignorance and say that there is not enough evidence to believe in the bodily resurrection of Jesus. And you may further argue that, after all, didn't Jesus pray to the Father to forgive his, his executioners because they did not know what they were doing? And so today, you may argue, won't God forgive us if we claim ignorance of the bodily resurrection of Jesus? Well, let's go to Peter. And Peter's answer is a firm no. Look at verses 17 to 19. Uh, Peter says to the crowd, And now, fellow Israelites, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your leaders. But this is how God fulfilled what he had foretold through all the prophets, saying that his Messiah would suffer. Repent then and turn to God, so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. So Peter acknowledges that, yes, it is true that the people and the leaders of Jerusalem, they acted in, in ignorance uh, of Jesus' true identity when they killed him. 
But in their ignorance, they fulfilled what God had planned beforehand. And that plan was that Jesus was to be the suffering servant and he would bear the sins of the world. Now that God's salvation plan has been activated, so to speak, by ignorant uh, men, ignorance is no longer an excuse not to believe in Jesus. So Peter goes on to argue that the crucifixion itself proves that Jesus is who the Old Testament prophets say he is. And Jesus is Lord and Messiah. He is the divine king who saves his people from their sins and from God's wrath. So the Old Testament prophets and the cross provide enough evidence for belief. Ignorance is no longer an excuse for unbelief. And Peter therefore calls on the crowd and he calls on us today to repent, to turn away from our ignorance and to turn away from our refusal to believe and instead turn to God for the forgiveness of our sins. And Peter uses the term that our sins may be wiped out. Now, it is a beautiful way to describe how God will remember our sins no more. Now, you can imagine how a messy white board is wiped clean. In a similar way, when God forgives us our sins, all our sinful past is no more. All our guilt, all our shame will be gone. And we are given a new and clean slate, a clean slate of righteousness. And God, the Holy Spirit, will begin His sanctifying work on this clean slate. And it is this sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit that Peter describes as the times of refreshing. Now imagine if our old sinful state was a sewer with all the foul smell. Then our new righteous state is a scented garden that is refreshing refreshing to the soul. Now the times of refreshing and sanctification will continue until God sends Jesus to us again from heaven. And this is the third thing, the third R about Jesus that Peter wants us to know. Jesus will return to earth at a time God will appoint to restore all things. And this is referring to the second coming of Jesus. Look at verses 20 to 22. And that he may send the Messiah who, was, who has been appointed for you, even Jesus. Heaven must receive him 
until the time comes for God to restore everything as he promised long ago through his holy prophets. So we know that Jesus is in heaven now, but there will become a time when God will send him back to earth and Jesus will return to restore all things as promised long ago by his holy prophets. You see, the Old Testament prophets, in particular Isaiah, they looked toward a future when there will be no more wars in this world, when the lion and the lamb will graze together, when death will be destroyed and the trees will be clapping with joy. Now, all these descriptions in the Old Testament are imageries of the new heaven and the new earth, which Jesus the Messiah, the ultimate king, will establish when he returns. Jesus will restore all that is broken, and he will right every wrong. And Jesus will reign with justice and righteousness, and there will be everlasting joy and peace. That is the picture given to us in the Old Testament, and it will be fulfilled when Jesus comes again. But sadly, there are Christians who do not look forward to Jesus' return, or they do not look forward to the new heaven and the new earth. They want to cling on to this earth. And this is because they believe their best life is now in this present world. And so they live it up in this life, indulging in the pleasures of this world. And so they become the worldly Christians we talked about previously. And these Christians wrongly think that they can enjoy the best of both worlds, this present world and the world to come. But they will be disappointed. You see, the Apostle Paul says that such worldly Christians are living according to the flesh, not according to the Spirit. Those who live according to the flesh will inherit the kingdom of God. Uh, uh, sorry. Those who live according to the flesh will not inherit the kingdom of God, which is the new heaven and the new earth. So, brothers and sisters, we must not become worldly Christians. We must not exchange our precious inheritance in God's kingdom for the fleeting pleasures of this world. The Bible tells us that we are foreigners, we are exiles in this world. We are only passing through. And though we may face hardships and afflictions in this life, Paul tells us that our momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs our hardships. So let us persevere, uh, knowing that Jesus will return and we will share in his eternal glory. So we look forward to Jesus' return because we will share in his glory. But Jesus will return like a thief in the night. And that is the warning we are given. Jesus himself says that he will come like a thief in the night. And so we need to be ready. And that is the fourth R relating to Jesus that we need to know. So how do we get ready for Jesus' return? 
Peter answers is this, by obeying Jesus in all that he tells us to do. So look at uh, verses 22 to 23. Okay. For Moses said, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own people. You must listen to everything he tells you. Anyone who does not listen to him will be completely cut off from their people. Now, Peter tells us that Jesus fulfills the prophecy of Moses that predicts that God will raise another prophet like Moses. And just as Moses was the mediator between God and the Israelites, such that anyone who disobeyed Moses would be cut off. So Jesus is now the mediator between God and mankind. And anyone who disobeys Jesus will be cut off from the kingdom of God. So therefore, whoever claims to be a Christian must obey Jesus and his commands. As Jesus himself has said, his sheep listens to his voice. And if we belong to Jesus, we must listen to his voice. We must obey him. And the question is, how are we to listen to Jesus? And I think the answer is by obeying the two greatest commandments that Jesus taught us. And you know the two greatest commandments. The first is to love God with all our heart, with all our soul, and with all our mind. And the second is to love our neighbors as ourselves. Now, to obey these two commandments require that we deny ourselves. And Jesus also tells us that we must deny ourselves and follow him. You see, we need to forego our selfishness. We need to forego of our perceived rights. Because without dying to self, we can never put Jesus we can never put God first in our lives. Without dying to self, we are unlikely to look after the interests of others. So the question for us this morning is, have we put God first in our lives? Have we moved out of our self-centeredness to also care for the interests of others? Now, if we have no intention of listening to Jesus, we fall outside of his kingdom. We will be cut off from the promises of the new heaven and the new earth. However, if we listen to Jesus and obey him, Peter says we show ourselves to be heirs of the Old Testament prophets, for they were always obedient to God. But more importantly, Peter says in verse 25 that we also show ourselves as, the, as heirs and recipients of the benefits of the covenant God made with Abraham. You remember uh, the, the covenant that God made with Abraham. See, God said to Abraham, through your offspring, all peoples on earth will be blessed. 
So we know that Jesus is Abraham's offspring through the lineage of David. And all who listens to Jesus, all who obey him, prove themselves to be blessed. Now this blessing is not the blessing of wealth, neither it is, the, is it the blessing uh, of health. Now, this blessing is the blessing of righteousness. The righteousness that comes to us when God takes away our sins and imputes to us the righteousness of Christ. So let's read Peter, uh, the last verse, in verse 26. When God raised up his servant, he sent him first to you to bless you by turning each of you from your wicked ways. So this blessing of righteousness is first given to the Jews and then Gentiles. You see, we need this righteousness from God because by our own effort, we can never fully turn away from our wicked ways. And that is because we are naturally attracted to sin. But God in his power, the same power with which God raised Jesus, and with this same power, God will turn each one of us from our wicked ways, and he will give us the righteousness that belongs to Jesus. And as we said, we need Jesus' righteousness to enter the kingdom of God. Now, do you remember the Sermon on the Mount when Jesus says that we need the righteousness that exceeds the righteousness of the Pharisees to enter the kingdom of God? Do you remember that? You see, our own righteousness will not exceed the Pharisees because we are like the Pharisees. But Jesus' righteousness, His exceeds the Pharisees. And it is only with this righteousness of Jesus that we can enter the kingdom of God. And so, salvation is the work of God. Salvation is the gift of God in Christ. And for that, we must always be grateful to Jesus. And we show our gratitude by listening to Jesus. We show our gratitude by obeying Jesus as we wait patiently and expectantly for his return to restore this broken world. And we will want to continue the tradition of apostolic teaching, uh, apostolic preaching, to constantly remind ourselves to do what Jesus tells us to do, to truly love God and to love our neighbor as ourselves. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, praise and glory be to your name because you have blessed us with every spiritual blessing in Christ. In your great mercy, you have made us alive in Christ even when we were dead in sins. We thank you that it is by your grace we have been saved through faith in Jesus Christ. And may we show our gratitude for your gift of salvation through our obedience to Jesus. And may we always do what Jesus tells us to do. In his name we pray. Amen.